This is a Clark University podcast. Okay. Clark University music professor Kaylin Marcel Manson is taking me through a practice run of the vocal warm ups he does before a performance. Kaylin has sang and conducted at some of the world's most esteemed concert halls. I, on the other hand, am not at all musically inclined. Not bad, not bad. We caught up with Kalen to hear about his performance at Carnegie Hall in New York City this spring. It's kind of surreal. I was backstage with the soloists and with the staff of Mid-America Productions, and everyone was very excited, and they were like, this is going to be a wonderful concert. And so the four soloists walk out, you know, these are people who sing at the Met, and they're going out there and they're receiving their applause. And then literally I'm standing there and they're like, maestro. And I took a deep breath and I was like, all right, I am ready to do this. These thoughts were running through Kalen's mind as he stepped onto the stage at Carnegie. Kalen, the director of Clark's music program, wasn't alone at the historic venue. He led a 152-voice choir in a stunning performance of Verdi's Requiem. Scattered among the performers were members of the Clark University Choir. This concert marked Kalen's first time performing at Carnegie, as well as his 20th year as a conductor. When I'm singing, when I'm performing as a soloist, it gets to a point where you're kind of in the zone. I've been at a point for a while where I kind of trust my body and its process and I'm present in the music, but it gets to this point where I'm kind of like watching myself do it. When I'm a soloist, I feel kind of out of my body, right? Like I'm just like, I see what's happening and I know what's happening and I'm present, but I'm not, I feel somewhat removed. But when I'm conducting, it's so incredibly active. The audience, they see me, but they don't see me. Like they see my back. They see the maybe the shapes of the gestures I make to help guide music. But I'm up there so active because my job is to guide and to help and to continually sort of inspire and facilitate the orchestra and the chorus and the soloists to be expressive themselves, you know, to remind them of some of the things we've rehearsed, but also to be open to the energy of the moment. I'm Melissa Hansen, a producer in Clark's communications office, and this is Challenge Change. At Carnegie, there was a sense of mysticism between Kaylin as the conductor and the choir of dozens of singers. There was a tangible lesson Kaylin's students could walk away with. It really is like a transference of energy. I give some out, they give it to me, I resend it out. And so by the end of a performance, I have to have that moment to come out of it, especially something like the Verdi, which is 90 minutes from beginning to end. And the students use this term all the time. I'm not fond of it, but I guess it's, it's appropriate in this case. It was, it was a vibe, you know. 
the music was a way for all of us to connect, which I, I think it's interesting because it's, you know, it's it's a requiem, it's Mass for the Dead. You know, it's a, it's a dramatic Mass for the Dead. It describes the end of the world. But that entire time I was up there, I just felt this, this complete sense that we were really connected. And that was what was so amazing about it. I say this to the students all the time, you don't know what someone's coming into the room with. Like we know what we come into the room with and we bring that into the music we're making. But you don't know what the audience is coming into the room with. And that's terrifying and beautiful at the same time. Because one thing you can guarantee is that people will know when you're phoning it in. They will know when you're not fully invested as a performer. They're not gonna know what exactly you're thinking when you're fully invested, but they will know whether or not you are. And so if you fully invest, you actually invite them to fully invest themselves in receiving the performance. And whatever they've brought gets met. Before taking the stage, the choir spent three days practicing. It was the first time they sang together as a group. There's a lot of identity tied up in one's voice, right? And, and, and that is magnified when you have a group voice, right? Um, and so when you have four or five different choirs joining together, each group has a sense of its sound. And so we had to figure out what our collective sound was in that first rehearsal. And then going through the next few days, how did that sound adapt to express the ideas in the music? personally took away when I was seeing all of our Clarkies scattered around <laughs> this huge choir. They could see how some of the things we talked about, some of the concepts we talked about, about, about what it means to be in a choir and the, the depth of feeling that one can have in a choir. They started to see that play out. Oh, this is what Professor Manson was talking about. And then there was just these little things <laughs> that I do, you know, when I, like, if they're getting really excited and they're kind of, like, rushing the tempo, I have this thing where I, like, I will point at my hand. And just seeing that and seeing them kind of go, yep, he's doing it. Okay. Being in it, but laughing about it. It's just, that that contributes to that joy. I Like I, I said, we, we all felt. I think the one of the most fulfilling conversations that I got to have with many students was an unequivocal yes. You deserve to be here. You've worked hard to be here. You're singing well. You're singing excellently. That's why this space exists. It actually exists to hold you as well as all the other amazing artists that have made history on the stage. You're a part of that now. 
As you may guess, music was a major part of Kaylin's youth and upbringing in Philadelphia. Music was a major part of, of, of my life, um, even if it wasn't necessarily thrust upon me, like that's what I was gonna do. I grew up in one of the oldest German Lutheran congregations in the country. There were soldiers from the Revolutionary War buried in the cemetery. It was an ethnically mixed congregation. And in that same service, we could go from singing Bach in German to singing gospel. I had the privilege, really. I was really blessed. And it was an open and affirming congregation, by the way. There were LGBTQ members and, and couples and families. I was blessed to be raised in a community that allowed me to question and also gave me this whole big gamut of musical expression that I could see myself in. Went to school just outside of Philadelphia in the Sheldon School District and I had wonderful, wonderful teachers. Still like one of my closest friends in the world is my high school choral director. <laughs> There were a lot of really great Black classical musicians in Philadelphia, a huge culture of it. And so I never questioned whether or not there was a place for me in it when I decided it was what I was going to do. Living a life so enveloped in music, certain pieces hold a special meaning to Kaylin, from the recognizable works of famous classical composers to the hits of more contemporary pop and funk icons. If I'm driving my car, I might be listening to Beethoven, I might be listening to Mendelssohn, but I also might be listening to Tower of Power and Shaka Khan, okay? Like, like, Shaka is my girl. Like, I am into it, into it. My brothers were really deep into hip hop, and you know, my older brother, one of my older brother Lamar, is like a major, when I say major, major spoken word artist. I grew up around all that. And that is a, that influences me heavily. You know, the way I make music, the way I connect to it, the way I think about being a musician, the way I think about being a teacher. Kaylin has been on a journey throughout his two decades of conducting. Early on, he felt he had something to prove. Now it's less about making a name for himself and more about elevating diverse voices and talent. As a, a Black classical musician, kind of feel like, ah, I'm stepping into this and sometimes you're the first, you know? <laughs> like, you're the first to do it. And so you feel like, not only do I need to be good, like, I need to be really good. Early on, it really is about you, right? Like, because you're really trying to make a name for yourself. You're really trying to carve out your space in the industry and in the art form. And now I'm not, it's not about me. It's about the art and it's about the people making it. It's for the people I'm working with, and it's for the audience that's there to receive it. When you've done something for two decades, you get to this point, I'd done what I needed to do to prove myself, and I found myself much more interested in pursuing the work, the music, the pieces, working with the communities that I wanted to work with, and that I wanted to see embodied in the art form that I had dedicated myself to focus on, you know, working on diversity in music and, and championing diverse voices and diverse talent and, and connecting that to communities, which has been the last 10 or so years of a lot of my major work. It, it signifies a goalpost in my life. 
was a lift after that, remember that. To learn more about music at Clark, visit clarku.edu slash music. Visit Clark University's YouTube page to check out a video from the Carnegie Hall performance. We'll link it in the show notes. Challenge Change is produced by Andrew Hart and Melissa Hansen for Clark University. Find other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. One, two, three. Clark! Mm, uh... Not bad, not okay. bad. The only thing I would say is try, like, I mean, 